I read from Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said, the kingdom of God is if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow, he does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables. But he explained, excuse me, explained everything in private to his disciples. He has been called the man who saved a billion lives. Does anyone know who that might be? If you do, raise your hand. I thought Norman might because he was here for the first sermon. <laughs> this man is Dr. Norman Borlaug. He was a man who never sought fame, nor the accomplishment that earned him that title. This story took place more than 50 years ago in 1965. That's the year Dr. Borlaug shipped the first of his wheat seed varieties to India. These seeds made it possible for the feeding of a billion people in India and Pakistan. Playwright David Macaray, who in his younger years was a Peace Corps in Punjab, India, has written about Borlaug's seed and says, it is no exaggeration to say that Borlaug did in fact save a billion lives. Macaray was in India years after Borlaug's seeds were introduced, but he learned from people there that a remarkable turnaround Borlaug brought to a country of 1.1 billion people. Actually, Borlaug made possible the feeding of the masses even before 1965. He graduated from the University of Minnesota in 1942 with a PhD in plant pathology and genetics. 
He then accepted an agricultural research position in Mexico where he developed short-stemmed, high-yield, disease-resistant varieties of wheat. Those varieties helped Mexico turn its agriculture around so that by 1963, Mexico became an explorer of wheat. So what happened with these seeds? The standard wheat plants on which India and other places in the world had been relying unsuccessfully to feed people had tall, narrow stalks with minimal kernels per plant. Even though there were few kernels, as they developed, they made the plant top heavy, causing them to fall over with their own weight, where many rotted before they were able to be harvested. Borlaug received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970. It was given in recognition of his contributions to world peace through increasing the food supply. The Nobel Committee chairperson explained, more than any other single person of this age, Borlaug has helped to provide bread for a hungry world. We have made this choice in hope that providing bread will also give world peace. Borlaug died in 2009 at the age of 95, but almost to the end, he worked to keep hunger at bay. He served as a consultant to the International Maize and Wheat Improvement Center in Mexico. He was also president of a foundation seeking to spread the green revolution to sub-Saharan Africa. It's a big jump from Barlog's work to the first parable of our text for today, the parable of the growing seed. This parable focuses on Jesus' comparison of the kingdom of God to seeds scattered on the ground. The seed then sprouts and grows. When it is fully ripe, it is harvested. There is one noticeable difference between Borlaug's work and the parable. Borlaug had to have a deep understanding of the growing process in order to develop seeds that would prosper in various soils. The differences in soils explain why Borlaug developed more than one variety of his basic wheat seed. In the parable, however, the sower, who likely represents Christians who testify to or proclaim their faith to others, seem to have no real understanding of the growing process. The text says the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. But that doesn't matter in the parable, for the sower trusts the harvest will come. He doesn't know how the growth happens, but he knows that it does. This was so important of a lesson for the first century Christians, because Jesus would 
no longer be with them in the flesh. They could recall that Jesus had said the kingdom of God would grow like the seed growing toward the harvest. And this would reassure them that the growth of the kingdom was indeed proceeding according to God's plan. They didn't know when the crop would ripen. And that is why the parable is sometimes called the parable of the seed secretly growing. But they could still trust that in God's time, it would be ready for harvest. And therefore, they could live in confident hope. The parable also teaches us that the crop will not fail. We who are followers of Jesus today need to hear this message as well. We live at a time when in many places, churches are not prospering. And we may find ourselves pessimistic about the future. Is the crop going to fail? Are the seeds of faith that we have spread actually growing or not? Don't you feel that way sometimes? Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor comments about this pessimism in some mainline churches. Sometimes when I visit embattled churches, she says, I feel almost like I'm working for hospice, visiting churches that are just scared to death they are dying. You can almost smell the sweat in the room as they fret about what in the world they're going to do. She goes on to say, even for mainline Christians who are looking into the dark of decline, there is reconciliation and healing and intimacy and community that can be taking place in the dark. There's a lot of humility in the dark, which might be a great curative for a long time. On the other hand, pastor of and church planter Ed Stitzer argues, the church isn't dying at all, but that is that it's going through a kind of shakeout, or to say it in an agricultural way, as the parable suggests, it's going through a winnowing process. Stetzer separates the 75% of Americans who call themselves Christian into three categories, cultural, congregational, and convictional. He defines cultural Christians as people who are Christians simply because their culture tells them they are, but they are Christians in name only and are not participating in a vibrant faith. He defines, congreg defines congregational Christians as people who are similar to the cultural Christians, except that they have some connection to an actual congregation, and they attend church at least occasionally. He defines convictional Christians as people 
who actually live according to their faith. They are people who would say that they have met Jesus, that he has changed their lives, and that their lives are centered around their faith in him. Stetzer acknowledges that there are a number of people who identify themselves as nons. These are people claiming no religion, and the number is growing. He says the increase in nons is mainly due to the fact that cultural and congregational Christians no longer feel pressure from society to claim to be Christian, and they are no longer identifying themselves as Christian. Stetzer comes to this conclusion. Christianity may be losing its top-down political and cultural influence, but Jesus spoke of his followers making an impact in a very different manner. He taught that God's kingdom was subversive and underground, like the seed growing secretly. He uses examples like yeast, which changes things from the inside, and mustard seeds, which are small and must be planted in order to grow up and out. We should add that Jesus used examples of salt and light. Salt alone does not make a whole meal. Can you imagine eating a lot of salt? But how different our meals would be without salt. Light is only one element of creation, but our planet would be dead without it. Here is one final thing about the parable of the growing seed. God is responsible for the growth. Our purpose this morning is not to debate whether the church is or is not falling on hard times. We are here to hear and take confidence from Jesus' parable. This parable tells us that the gospel needs to scatter even scatter or growing. Oh, let's try that one again. That the gospel seeds are, we scatter are growing, even if we don't know how. It also tells us that the full grain will one day appear. In fact, Jesus told another parable, which I, I was included in the scripture lesson and I have not mentioned yet at this point. The parable of the mustard seed indicates that the yield from the scattered seed will be significant. Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the largest of all garden plants and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So this sowing and planting, no worries. 
This is not a harvest failure. We can sow the seed with confidence, anticipation, and joy. The growth is happening. The harvest will come. If we do our job, we need not worry about whether God will do God's job. Amen.